I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life, where for the third straight week, the New York Jets find themselves in an abysmal performance, an absolutely terrible game, and they're sitting here at 0-3. This is absolutely not the start that we expected this season. We've lost to three good teams in the Bills, the 49ers and the Colts, but it's really no excuse. Our players aren't playing. Injuries galore. Coaching issues. Sam Darnold's looking like he's regressing every single game. And this was our worst performance of the entire season. Defense looked bad. Offense looked bad. Special teams uninvolved except for punting. I mean, it comes down to it. If the Jets keep playing games like this, it's going to be hard for them to keep fans. It's going to be hard for them to get people to watch these games. And, you know, I said uh, during the game, actually, it's funny because I always see the positive in these things. And I said to my dad and roommate Kyle's were watching the game. I said, honestly, I would rather do nothing in the world than watch this game right now. Regardless of the score, I don't care if they're losing 36 to 7 like they did in this one. I just love watching the New York Jets. One play, one first down makes me so excited that it doesn't even matter the stakes. It doesn't matter if they're playing for anything. I just love watching the guys find success, as small and limited as it may be. But at this point in the season... It's extremely infrequent, and you know we've got maybe one of our easier couple games coming up, and it's time for the New York Jets to capitalize, start taking steps in the right direction. I do believe with some players coming back off of injury, the New York Jets can start to get some semblance of an offense, maybe against a quarterback like Brett Rippon. They can start getting you know, a couple good defensive plays here and there and maybe start to look like a Greg Williams defense, even though they don't have the players. There's plenty of stuff to... Still look forward to in this season, but of course, three weeks in, this is about as bad as it gets. No season is over at week three, going into week four here, but for the New York Jets, it's hard It's hard for a lot of people right now to see this and say that there's any positives, any light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like it's just going to be some big teardown, people getting fired, players getting replaced, and it's going to be a mess. We'll talk about all that stuff in this episode, a lot more coming up. Before I get into all that, I'm going to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. This is under the Gang Green Nation podcast. can be found on all podcast servers. And if you want to find any more information on the New York Jets throughout the week, you can follow me at Jets underscore Dan on Twitter. Post opinions, random tidbits, and things that come up as the weeks go on. Um, but yeah, I got to... Honestly, this is not a podcast that I'm looking forward to doing right now. I think I want to get through the Colts game as quick as possible. I got a fun what's on tap for this week. I got a good father time submission from my dad. And then talk a little bit of you know Jets Broncos because this is one of our only two primetime games of the entire season. Right, we've got this one, Thursday Night Football 8-20 against the Broncos in Denver, and then we've got one Monday Night Football on November 9th against, guess who, the New England Patriots, because that's going to be awesome to watch the Jets play the Patriots again on primetime. 
and watch this team perform. Hopefully, they're in a much better place by then. Hopefully, some players have stepped up. Some of these young guys get on the field. We've got a lot more positivity about the team moving forward. Maybe the Patriots are a little shaky in the coming weeks. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to happen between now and then, but that looks like it'd be a tough one. So we've only got two primetime games this year. I guess feasibly the Jets could get flexed into the Rams game or the Browns game at the end of the season if they're doing really well and it ends up being a you know a play-in game for the Jets or for the Browns or Rams. But most likely that's not going to happen. We've got these two. We're going to try to focus on this one as much as we can and try to find as much positivity in this whole thing as we possibly can. Because at the end of the day, 95% of us are going to be Jets fans next week, the week after, the year after, and probably for the rest of our lives. I know some people you know, can't take ownership. That's fine. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you're going to be a Jets fan for the long haul, then there's no point in just sitting back saying that, you know, looking at the ambiguity of five years ahead and just assume that they're going to be horrible again. There are scenarios and steps they can take to be a good team. So let's try to think in that positive direction if we can. All right, so first things first, quick recap of the game. The New York Jets lose in horrible fashion at 4 o'clock, 7-36 to 36 to the Colts. The Colts are now 2-1. and one. Best of the Jets big time in this one. They had no issues. Phillip Rivers was upright all game, clean, crisp, throwing it around the field. They ran on us. They were scoring on defense. They were making plays. We weren't consistently. They scored in every single quarter of the game. The Jets scored in the first quarter on a nice, a nice drive. They had like one or two good drives in this game. One ended in a bad interception. Another one ended in a touchdown. And then other than that, it was pretty flat for the rest of it. They never quite got that momentum going again. And uh, as we're watching it, we're thinking to ourselves, because the Jets early on, they were like picking up five yards at a time, five yards, six yards, seven yards, five yards. And they were never throwing the ball downfield. They had one or two tries a little deeper maybe than they did in the first two weeks, but still keeping it very short. And when you're watching it, like it worked for a drive or two, but you're saying to yourself, like they can't do this all game long. If you're going for three yards or four yards every single play, it only takes one bad miscalled play or one stopped play to put you behind the sticks and not get a first down. You have to eventually start picking up 15, 20-yard gains, any sort of explosive plays to move you down the field, to get you into field goal range and to get you, your offense moving because when you're that inefficient picking up three, four yards on a good play, then you're setting yourself up for failure time and time again. I do think that the play calling in this game was slightly better from Adam Gase than it was in the previous two weeks. I do think there was a little bit more creativity there were a couple more open guys, some nice wheel routes, getting the running backs involved in the passing game. Nice deep shot taken to Ryan Griffin, who has been silent on this team. The tight end position has basically been absent from the entire 2020 New York Jets. But there was some positivity there in the play calling. I don't think it was good, but I think it was better than what he's done in the first two weeks, which was absolutely terrible. That aside, this New York Jets team was completely outplayed start to finish. You know, Makai Becton leaves middle of the game. George Fant's not playing, so there's two tackles. You got an injured center. You don't have your starting running back in Le'Veon Bell. Your top five wide receivers in Crowder, Mims, Perriman, Josh, Mal- uh, Josh Smith, and Vincent Smith all out. So you're playing guys like Josh Malone. Lawrence Cager called up from the practice squad. Chris Hogan, who's got some rib injuries. You got Braxton Berrios, who's coming, becoming like the best offensive weapon that we have right now. And... What do you expect an offense to look like? And when you look at the defensive side of the ball, we don't have a corner that can just match up and go man-to-man with the guys. You have to play zones. Greg Williams at this point knows that we're not getting the pass rush. We don't really have, you know, the players to cover, move quickly around the field, and make big plays. So what does he do? His big goal in this whole thing is to make sure that we don't get beat on huge plays. And for the most part, 
aside from a couple big runs by the 49ers, we haven't been beat by that long ball. You know, we're making sure they're not getting 60, 70 yard huge gains on us, which is it's happening. His hope is, all right, if we can keep them to six, seven, eight yard plays, eventually maybe they'll make a mistake. It at least cost them, you know, it'll take 15 plays to move down the field rather than three. And maybe somewhere in the Jets can make something happen, an interception, a lucky play. I feel like that's what he's doing. I feel like he's a, it's a bend, don't break style defense. It's like, listen, we're going to have to bend because one way or the other, if we all come up and try to play tight coverage, we're going to get burned for deep plays. And if you don't, you get picked apart. So that's the route that Greg Williams has decided to go. And that's what's happened to us. Going through the team stats in this game, again, similar to last week, it's ugly. The stuff that we talk about frequently, time of possession was close. 29-52 to 308. Keep in mind they scored 14 of their points instantly on pick sixes. But they're getting 6.3 yards of play to the Jets 4.3. They only had 30% third down efficiency, but the Jets are at 25%, so they're better there. Fourth down efficiency again. The Jets try one time, don't get it, similar to last week. The Colts go one for one. The Jets were sacked twice. We never sacked Phillip Rivers. Believe it or not, that old statue of a man who's, you know, he plays every single game. He's tough. But, like, a guy that does not, at this point in his career, want to be hit, knocked around, the Jets had almost no pressure on him. Penalties, the New York Jets, seven of them for 57 yards. The Colts only four for 40. So, again, losing the penalty yardage, things like that. Like, maybe you're a worse team, but at least don't get the penalties. Like, mental mistakes, discipline, and, of course, we have three interceptions thrown. They don't have any. So when it comes down to it, top to bottom, the Colts beat us in this game. And but first, we've got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, what's on tap. And today, inspired by Thursday Night Football, I am drinking the sponsored beverage of the game, Jets Broncos, Thursday night, 820. Sponsored by Bud Light. Platinum Seltzer. What the heck is that? That is Bud Light's boozy version of a seltzer. Sounds kind of weird. 8%. I got a variety pack, six pack for $9.99. It came with two blood orange, two mixed berry, and two citrus. For this podcast, I chose blood orange because I thought it sounded the most tolerable. And yeah, I got it because the Thursday night sponsorship. I'm the sucker. They got me. Stupid Dan and the Sad Jets podcast bought in. And I'm drinking the Bud Light Platinum Seltzer. And you know what? It's not good. It doesn't taste like it's made of quality ingredients. It's not something that I would recommend to other people. But this is absolutely something that if I want to have like two drinks to start a night to just get to the right place nice and quick on a Saturday with the boys, you know, hanging out. I'm like, let's just get there quick. Everybody pounds one or two of these really fast. It's perfect for that. This is a very drinkable um, in terms of like not taste and enjoyment, but just like light. You take big gulps of it. It's like, it's kind of malty, tastes kind of cheap, but if you drank a lot of it, there's no question this thing's going to make you sick. I can already kind of like feel it down there, like something in my past resembles this that was just a bad combination in college. But this is perfect for those new young drinkers trying to get into alcohol, high percentage stuff without being uh, interested in the flavor of the alcohol and the hops and things like that. Just cover it up with a little blood orange, make it 8% alcohol, put it in a Bud Light can, make it cheap and available. Everybody wins. Jets, Broncos, sponsoring it. And uh, and yeah, so when you're seeing the game this, this Thursday and they continue to blast it in your face and you're like, what the heck is that? That sounds gross. No, that it is kind of gross. 
but it's also kind of awesome if you're using it the right way, which is probably the wrong way. I do not condone any underage drinking. Of course. All right, so that is what's on tap. I will be drinking this Bud Light Platinum Seltzer. And then uh, who knows, maybe we'll do the other flavors if they make it past Thursday night. Maybe we'll do them on the next What's on Tap. Citrus and mixed berry still available. But hopefully not. Hopefully they're gone by then. Because we're celebrating a New York Jets win against the Broncos. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, moving on to the offense, defense, special teams of this Colts-Jets game. Offensively, Sam Darnold, we said, horrible. Three interceptions, two pick sixes, some bad reads and stuff. But at the end of the day, he's throwing to bad receivers. But most people don't want to hear excuses. They want to see results. They want to see Sam Darnold standing back in the backfield, even if he's got two, three seconds of time before he's smacked. They want to see him delivering the balls on point. What I'm seeing in these games is a lot of short routes from receivers that aren't necessarily fast, don't have a huge route tree, haven't really worked with Sam Darnold all that much, and they're easy covers for the DBs and for the defense. Nothing that Lawrence Cager and Josh Malone and Braxton Berrios are throwing out at these DBs from a good top-ranked Colts defense. Nothing is catching them off guard and like, whoa, these are crazy moves. You know, it's not like it's Jameson Crowder doing his great route running. There's a reason that he's the starter and Braxton's the backup. There's a reason that Perriman's the starter and Cager's on the undrafted practice squad. It's because certain players are a little bit more effective, at least at this point in their career. I'm not saying that Braxton can't get there and Cager can't get there. Probably both of them can get to Perriman's level pretty quickly. What I'm saying is like there's stuff that makes those guys better, and when you don't have it, it's not something that can just be found because you want to. Because, well, if he's the number one guy, then he's going to have to do it. It's like, or maybe not. Maybe he just gets covered by a defender who's better than him. And so we saw a lot of that in this game. We don't have Le'Veon Bell, so we're playing Frank Gore in this one. It was similar to what Frank Gore did last week. This week he has 15 carries for 57 yards, 3.8 yards per carry. So it's not a horribly inefficient game, but he's a guy that gets high-volume carries and doesn't get high-volume yardage because he doesn't get big breakaways. I am impressed with the way that he hits the hole, especially at this age. He finds four yards, five yards, and he does occasionally get those 10-yarders. But he's not taking it to the house. He's not making those big highlight reel moves, jukes, and stiff arms anymore. He's just kind of finding the holes, running at the right time, the right speed, and going forward. Michael Piran got mixed into this game a little bit more. Seven carries, 24 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. I like what I see from him. You got to keep in mind that when Mekhi Becton leaves the offensive line in this game, I mean, a lot of stuff got worse. Connor McDermott is a terrible backup to Mekhi Becton. When you just look at the difference between those two players, Connor McDermott, McDermott struggled instantly and all game long when he came in. Mekhi Becton has been almost perfect all year. He's allowed, I think, three hurries and one sack which for a rookie left tackle who was supposed to be raw coming out and has the physical, like, that's really impressive. And things went downhill when he wasn't there. Sam Darnold had five carries for 20 yards. This is one of those games that you saw early on, Sam Darnold kind of running it, and it felt like 
he's feeling the pressure. He realizes that he doesn't have anybody open downfield. He doesn't trust anything. The game plan is not great. So if he can find an, a way to pick up five yards on first down, second down, then he's going to do it. And he started doing that a lot early, but it wasn't super effective. I mean, five carries for 20 yards. You got a couple decent gains here and there to move the sticks and, and keep it uh, short yards short yardage on the following play. But it, uh, again, just not moving the ball quickly downfield. Kalen Balazs was mixed in. He was actually more effective in the passing game. He was getting some dump-offs from Sam Darnold. A couple of them were nice plays. A couple were just little check-down dump-offs. Balazs did have five catches for 44 yards. But when you look at the receivers in this game, we talked about them. They're not big-name guys. But one guy stood out and had the best game of all of them, and that's Braxton Berrios. He's going to be our offensive star of the week. Now, star is a very loose term right now because a star is more of just like he's more of like a glimmer. He's our offensive glimmer of the week. He had four catches, 64 yards, one touchdown. This is the best game of his career. And prior to that, last week was the best game of his career. So now he's got like two touchdowns in the season. He's over 120 yards, both career bests for a season. Last year was his rookie year. He's already outmatched or surpassed all the numbers that he had last year. So great for Barrios. He's quick, he's shifty, and he looks like a serviceable backup at the slot receiver position. He looks like you feel fine about your slot position with Jameson Crowder and Braxton Barrios behind him. So out of your six wide receivers on the roster, boom, two of them seem okay. One of them is not a starter, but he's a punt returner, serviceable backup. Barrios, scrappy little guy, finds a way to get first downs, catches the ball when it's thrown to him. Keeps running, you know, that extended play from Sam Darnold. Same as last week. Both plays that were extended are thrown to him because even though it's been six, seven seconds and the whole play's off script and the route is over, Braxton Barrios is still running this tail off trying to get open and Sam Darnold's finding it. So credit where it's due there. That's his first offensive player of the week acknowledgement or nod of the entire season. Lawrence Cager, he had the two catches for 35 yards, but at what cost? Two picks thrown his direction as well. Chris Herndon, I mean, where is this guy still? Three catches for 21 yards, and that's his best game of the season. That's insane. It's crazy to me that a player that has as much potential as, as him, he's a natural pass-catching tight end, quick, athletic, and he's healthy now, and he's playing with Sam Darnold and has chemistry where no one else does, how is he not getting the ball? The game plans aren't getting the ball to him in the right spots. He's being used as kind of like a check down that's not being checked down to. But he's on the field, and he needs a little bit more activity. It's very possible that teams are just saying, you know, we got to take Chris Herndon out of the game because he's really the only possible chance that this team can beat us. But eventually, like, when he's got, what, five catches on the year for, like, 40 yards through three games? Like, I, at one point, you just probably don't even cover him at all. I see Darren Waller getting wide open. People are forgetting about him. Chris Herndon should be wide open. This guy's not a threat to anybody in the league right now until he shows us something. Do so you know what? I didn't want to do it, but for the... Third straight week, I'm putting Chris Herndon back in the doghouse. And you know why? A bunch of reasons. But the main thing is that he came to this team. He fought his way up. He played really well as a rookie. He gave us a bunch of reasons to be excited. And then he was stupid and got a DUI. And then finally came back and pulled a hammy because he hadn't been staying in shape. Probably or because this Jets coaching staff just loves to give people hamstring injuries. But he finally, then he gets injured again when he comes back. And finally this year... He's back on the field, and we're excited. And then everybody else in the entire offense goes down, starting running back five wide receivers. And this guy is coming out with three catches for 21 yards after a last-week performance of one reception for five yards, and the week before that, fumbling the ball? 
He needs to be a focal point of this offense, and he's not. He's an afterthought, and the whole tight end position really could be in the doghouse together because Trevon West goes basically switched to a fullback. Daniel Brown doesn't play, and Ryan Griffin gets on the field for a play this game. It's kind of open downfield. I mean, he's triple covered, but the ball does get to his hands, and he doesn't bring the ball, and it's like, you finally get a chance. Finally, they throw the ball your way, and you don't catch that ball. It's just, it it's, doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense looking at this roster. It's like the one name that stands out is, oh, there's a good player. Not really. Not this year. He's on pace for about 140 yards. And that's something. So anyways, he's back at the doghouse. Let's not beat on the dead horse too much there. Chris Hogan, no impact in this game. He had a rib injury. Uh, LaMichael P. Ryan had a couple catches, but no yardage there. So we haven't seen him really coming out in the passing game yet. I'd like to see that. I think that he could be good in the passing game eventually. I'd like to see him in open field because he hasn't really had a chance to show how fast he is yet. And frankly, I've only seen him in college and in some videos here and there in like the combine and stuff. I don't really know how fast he is compared to other NFL players. Where his acceleration's at and if he gets beating people out in you know, a foot race. That's something that you'd like from your third running back, a guy like Piran, a young guy. So I'd like to see if he can do that. But we got to get him in open space to have that happen. Maybe getting him involved in the passing game on some swing passes or dumping him on the wheel route on the sideline. I think that he can catch that because he did that in college. But again, that's on Adam Gase to call those plays up. And it's on Sam Darnold to execute. Those guys have not been on the same page with anybody on this team so far this year, except for maybe Braxton Berrios and one game of Crowder. So a lot of work to be done. Well, last group, the offensive line, really quick. I mean, Connor McGovern's a little bit banged up right now. I think it's clear at this point that the biggest weakness on the offensive line is left guard and then right guard. Alex Lewis needs to be replaced. I like the guy. I think he could be a, a good backup swing guard, but that's about the extent of where he's going to be. Greg Van Roten, he's all right, but he's not that good. And we've got an injury to George Fant, who was replaced by Chuma Adoga, probably a step down from Fant. Not a horrible game. He had a penalty, but he was a little bit less consistent than Fant has been so far this year. And then Mackay Becton, who's been amazing, placed by Connor McDermott, who had a real struggle in this one. When you look at it, this team is going to be built by the offensive line. That's Joe Douglas's goal. That's kind of what he came in here with a big vision to do. Drafted Mackay Becton early. We got Cameron Clark later on in the mid-rounds of the draft. He hasn't played yet. But assembling this new group here, I think you start to realize that when you want to have a good offensive line, like what Joe Douglas wants to have, you need to have three great offensive linemen, like three really good guys. And then you can have the two others could potentially be okay or average, depending on the level of the greatness of the other three. Now, we've got one great offensive lineman. I'm willing to call Becton great already. Then you've got McGovern, who's like a maybe. He could be considered one of those guys. If you get like, you know, three others, three other good players, I think you'd have a good offensive line. But right now, Greg Van Roten's not up there. Alex Lewis is definitely not up there. And George Fant, it's hard to tell, but I'm leaning towards thinking that he's not either. He's not the guy that needs to be replaced first, but he's probably not a guy that's going to be part of the real long-term future of this New York Jets offensive line if Joe Douglas builds it the way that he plans on building it, making it elite. So hopefully uh, Mekhi Becton comes back. They're saying against Thursday night football for the Broncos game, he probably will play. The shoulder injury was not as bad as it originally looked, so that's good news. We'll see what happens there. Now we got to move over to the defensive side of the ball. Defense was really ugly. There's not much that I want to talk about here. We didn't sack Phillip Rivers. 
We didn't cause any turnovers. We didn't make Phillip Rivers uncomfortable. They scored in every single quarter of the game. Some of it was on defense. But they moved the ball relatively with ease. I mean, they were picking up 15 yards, 16 yards plays that if we had them, we'd be like, wow, that's one of the best plays of the season. They're getting them with regularity. And when it came down to it, nobody really had a good performance. Every once in a while, Phillip Rivers missed a throw or somebody, you know, the play call wasn't super aggressive from the Colts and they ended up punting the ball. They only went three for 10 on third down. So you think to yourself, well, that's not horrible, 30%. But they didn't get to third downs all that often because they were moving the ball so easily against the Jets. I mean, Phillip Rivers in this game, he went 17 for 21 with 217 yards passing. 17 for 21. He had four incomplete passes in the whole game. And then Jacoby Brissett ended up coming in because the game was so clearly over that there's no reason to play Phillip Rivers anymore. When you look at the running game, you think to yourself like, okay, well, if he's 17 for 21, maybe we stopped them there. They had two running backs that combined for 100 yards. Those guys both averaged over four yards a carry. Jonathan Taylor and Jordan Wilkins. Naheem Hines was a, you know, he was moved in the passing game. He had four receptions for 40 yards. Regardless of the whole thing, they moved the ball on us and nobody really stood out. We didn't make a big play in the whole game. We didn't have a ton of tackles for losses or quarterback hits or any of that. I think that if I have to pick a star of the game in this one, it's going to John Franklin Myers, even though he left the game early. He stood out early on. I remember saying to myself, well, that was a nice play, a tackle he made on the running back. And it was... uh you know, two weeks in a row that I've seen Franklin Myers show up on the field, and it was a nice surprise because some of the guys, Henry Anderson, Nathan Shepard, Kyle Phillips, Fadakasi, McClendon, they've been quiet at least for two weeks now, really quiet. And Franklin Myers is making his presence felt. And then later in the game, he had a really nice batted ball that was almost intercepted by Terrell Basham, probably could have been if Basham was a step quicker or a hair better at catching a football. So Franklin Myers, with that performance, believe it or not, as minimal as it was, he ends up being the defensive player of the game. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at. You look at the box score. Franklin Myers had that one tackle and that one pass deflection. And that was like maybe as good as it got. I don't know. If you have somebody better that should be winning a defensive player of the week this week, message me on Twitter. We can make an amendment next week if you can really convince me and find some footage of somebody else playing better. But I looked through and I saw a whole bunch of ugly. I saw bad tackling, slow players. And soft zones, really, for most of the game with minimal pass pressure. So really tough overall. I think one of my big disappointments in this defense is that the linebackers are really slow. We have no pass rush, of course. But then that our safeties can't really tackle. And our cornerbacks don't tackle great either. But Marcus May, as good a player, as, as reliable as he is in like the passing game, he doesn't get burned deep. You can use him in a bunch of different ways. He's not a great tackler. And when your other safety is Bradley McDougald, who is also clearly not a very good tackler, you, you're set with two safeties that have trouble bringing guys down on a team that consistently gives up plays to the safety level of the field. And it's just been really frustrating to watch. And usually your safeties are like, you have a strong safety who's really good at tackling, at least one of the two. It's a forte for them. But like Bradley McDougald in this game, he just he just laid on the ground and let the running back go right by him for a score that was so embarrassingly bad. It was like, you can't tackle a player like that, just kind of leaning and and grimacing and trying to lean in with your shoulder on the ground as the guy just runs right past you. He didn't even touch him. It's like, how were you not taught to wrap up? I was taught when I was 12 years old the proper way to tackle, and it's clearly not the way that Bradley McDougal, 
Google did it. And I think it's kind of like ironic because the guy's calling out the team in, in the uh, in the week when they're not playing. He's saying that the Jets are sluggish in practice. They don't have a bunch of energy. You know, over at the Seahawks, we did things a different way, and the Jets really don't have that here. And it's like, really, at the Seahawks, did you tackle like that? Was that acceptable? I wouldn't be. You know, we don't have a lot of safety options right now. Marquis Christian was picked up, a guy that the Jets tried to get last year. And it fell through. We've got Matthias Farley, who's been on the team for two years now and plays minimally. Um, he probably won't be a big option. Ashton Davis could be moved into the offensive or the defensive starting lineup soon if Bradley McDougald can't start tackling. Because I don't think that's going to fly with Greg Williams. And I know that Ashton Davis is not afraid to put a shoulder in. So even though he's not ready, I mean, there's only so much of a liability you can take. And I like Bradley McDougald. I'm rooting for the guy. I was happy when we got him. I know he had great ratings and stuff, but have you, what have you seen from Bradley McDougal this year? He had one nice pass breakup in week one. And other than that, like, he's been at the right place at the right time once or twice and pretty quiet other than that. So not super impressed there. So that's our defense. Sorry for being so negative there. I'll give you some positive. Ashton Davis could be a big step in the right direction. Jabari Zaniga hasn't played yet. Pass rusher that was drafted out of Florida. He could be good. Looking forward to seeing him. Bryce Hall could be one of our best cornerbacks, a guy that I really wanted coming out of college. There are definitely some guys. We don't have C.J. Mosley playing. You know, Quinn and Williams is doing pretty well this year. There's definitely some bright spots. I don't even mind LaShawn Austin. I don't think that he's great. I think that he could be a good number two, maybe number three outside cornerback. But he's definitely showing some, some life. So don't get me wrong. There are some bright spots and things to look forward to for the remainder of the season for the Jets defense. It just, when you play a game like this and you give up 36 points and have trouble even getting the Phillip Rivers or stopping the run or doing anything, you know, it's hard to be too positive. So now we're going to move over to special teams. But before I do that, you know what, let's just do special teams because special teams, nothing happened. Braden Mann has been punting a lot. And you know what? He had a bad punting game this game. That big boot, it looked like Early on in the season, he was booting it too far, and they were like, all right, you're out kicking the coverage. They're returning it for 15 yards. So maybe they told him, try to dial it back, and now he's punting for like 38 yards with no return, which is, you know, you net 38 yards. I'm not excited about that. I don't think that he's looked particularly great so far. I don't think that he looks like an improvement over Lock Edwards in any way. I think he looks like almost the same punter. He has a couple bad ones here and there, a couple decent ones, and nothing that blows your mind. He's only played three games. He has punted a lot, but he's got an opportunity to improve that. I think there was a, a bad kick returned by Josh Malone that came out to like the eight-yard line that sometimes he just dances around too much, but on one of them, he actually caught the ball on a kick return, took off right away, and ended up getting like the 40-yard line, and it was kind of reminiscent of the way that big play Vince runs them back, the way he ran them back last year. I think you start to realize that you really do miss guys like that. As small a name as he is, and as minimal of a, you know, impact that you think he makes on the team, he's a better receiver than what we have right now. He was a guy that actually was given opportunities downfield to catch the ball in the passing game because he does have speed. And in the kick return game, he would break some long ones here and there. I mean, he got the name Big Play Vince for a reason. So it's going to be really good to get him back. He's going to be coming off of IR. He has a core injury. So if he can come off of IR, he's eligible this week. We'll see if he needs a couple, uh, couple weeks more to get healed up. But I think in the next, you know, one to three weeks, we should probably be hearing his name coming up a lot more. So that was one good return for Josh Malone. Our special teams player of the game in this one is going to have to be Sam Ficken again because he made an extra point 
he was asked to do almost nothing in this game, just a 15-yard extra point, or from the 15-yard line. It's like a 32-yarder. Obviously, there's not much there that we're super impressed with, but the guy hasn't missed so far this year, and nobody else on special teams is standing out to me. So Ficken gets it. Way to go, Ficken. That's three in a row. This guy is tearing it up. Hasn't missed. Who would think? Sam Ficken hasn't missed. We don't get into field goal range all that often, but pretty good. All right, so before we do our Broncos preview, we got to do a father time. And this week, I I did not know what my dad was going to say, and I was worried because he tries to stay positive on these. But this game was so bad. And I'm thinking, like, how am I going to do the podcast? What am I going to talk about? Because this was, like, such a bad game. And I can't just keep saying, well, one day Ashton Davis is going to be good, and it'll be really great to see Denzel Mims out there. It's like, yeah, we get that. What's happening now? What are we watching? And uh, I wasn't sure how he's going to do it. But I think you may enjoy this father time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. The media has found out that Adam Gase may not be the Jets head coach for much longer. The proverbial hot seat, and we can smell it. If the Jets lay another egg on Thursday night, Chris Johnson and Joe Douglas might let Gase go after the game, knowing that the new head coach has extra days to prepare for the Arizona game at MetLife on October 11th. While unending injuries and a team teardown and rebuild factor into Adam Gase's utter failure, it's evident that even with a better Jets team, he's not the right head coach for our Jets group going forward. Flipping back in time, the Jets had Rich Kotite as their head coach for two years with a win-loss record of 4-28. and That's a .125 winning percentage. Adam Gase is currently at .368. Point is that things have been worse than this. Rich Kotite was fired, and owner at the time, Leon Hess, hired Bill Parcells and brought along Bill Belichick to restore the New York Jets. That was the worst of times. That actually led to the best of times. This rebirth led to a 1998 AFC Championship game, a 2001 wildcard game, 2002 divisional game, 2004 divisional game, 2006 wildcard game, 2009 AFC Championship game, and a 2010 AFC Championship game. That's a stretch that's hard to remember at this point, but a time of jet pride and success. When Chris and Woody Johnson finally fire Adam Gase, we can call it rock bottom. But just remember the rich co-tight rock bottom and the springboard that it created. And remember that, remember that history repeats itself. Go Jets. End scene. So this one, obviously I love because, you know, he's one saying what I think that Adam Gase is not the right head coach for this team and needs to go. But two, he's pointing it in a positive direction saying that, you know what, it actually, when you think about it, a .125 record for Rich Kotite, like I was a baby when that was happening and was not consciously watching. 1.25 is horrible. 4-28 and 28 in two seasons. That's worse than Adam Gase has been. And still, when that ended, not long after, the Jets were making AFC Championship games and then keeping that tradition up every three years making the playoffs. Up until 2010. There was never a three-year gap where they weren't in the playoffs. I mean, this team, when you think, like, it just, when it's been this long... It feels like it's going to be like this forever. And the glory days, maybe they weren't filled with tons of glory. Maybe the team was just slightly above average, probably a little better than that. It's hard to remember that because some of the bad seasons and the way the Jets fans are just negative. And the history that 
existed before that. But there were really great times. And it was fun to be a Jets fan. And we had good teams and we had good players, Hall of Fame players, some of the best in the league, some of the best of all time, playing for the New York Jets. We were competitive and we beat good teams and we'd play on primetime games. And it wasn't long ago. And it came right after a coach that was 4-28. and One of the worst stretches in team I mean, that is the worst stretch in team history. But in football, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many guys have been quite that bad for a two-year span. And the Jets came out of it with better days ahead. And it's very possible that it happens again. But why did it happen last time? Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, good assistant, good coach. The New York Jets need to get back to that. The other way that they did it, a lot of first-round picks. They drafted a lot of early players in that 2000s range. And the Jets are right back there again. With two first-round picks this year, two next year. They've got cap space. And they've got the opportunity to bring in a good head coach and build this team the right way that can actually be good for 10, 12 years, as we've seen. So thank you, Dad, for finding a way to position this in a positive way and remind us that, yes, it is horrible, but history repeats itself, and it got better once, and it will get better again. The Jets are not going to be horrible forever. That's a guarantee. When it's going to end, I'm not sure. If I had to guess, three years. But who's to say? It's going to take the right guy, head coach. It's going to take the right assistant coaches. It's going to take a good team in place. So Joe Douglas, good luck. Thank you, Dad, for the Father Time submission. So here's a quick commercial. All right, welcome back. Before doing our preview of the Denver Broncos Thursday night football game, let us quickly check in on the AFC East, just in case anybody's keeping score and trying to figure out if the Jets are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. They are not. They can still win the division. Spoiler alert, they will not. Buffalo Bills 3-0, Patriots 2-1, Dolphins 1-2, New York Jets 0-3. We have scored only 37 points as a team. The next worst in the division, the Dolphins at 70 points. Twice as many points as us. And they're second worst. Points against, we've given up 94. The next most in the division, the Bills have given up 77 it's been a tough stretch for the Jets, and right now, 0-1 at home, 0-2 away. There's not much positive to take away. The Bills look like a good team. The Patriots seem like they're still a legitimate team. And the Dolphins at least find a way to win sometimes. We will be playing all of those teams again. Bills once, Patriots twice, Dolphins twice. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, that is where a lot of the division, you know, the, the division titles are won winning your divisional games. That's where it happens. We are already 0-1, but potentially the Jets make a little bit of a run. So now Thursday night football preview. The New York Jets' first of two primetime games. This one at 8-20 on NFL Network. The Denver Broncos come to New York MetLife to play against the New York Jets with no fans. I may have said that this game was going to be in Colorado earlier in the podcast, but it is in fact in New York. I'm doing these in one take now, so, you know, bear with me as mistakes are made. 
But at New York, the Jets are currently three-point underdogs. Home field advantage doesn't really exist, especially with no fans. I mean, the Broncos, they do have to travel. The time zones do change, and it is a short week, so potentially there's a little bit there. But the fans, they're not going to be creating any, uh, you know, pre-snap penalties against the Broncos or anything like that. Crowd noise will not be a factor. Three-point underdogs. Now, you look at that and you say, okay, this is the closest that we've been betting odds so far this year. We were, I think, 6, 7, and 11-point underdogs in our first three games. This time, three. What's really disappointing about this one is the Jets are really banged up, but the Broncos are really banged up, too. And not only do they not have Drew Locke, their starting quarterback, they don't have, uh, well, it sounds like they're not going to be playing Jeff Driscoll, who's the experienced backup. They're going to be playing a guy named Brett Rippon, a Boise State undrafted free agent, 24 years old. He's got a career like 57 passing yards and an interception, no touchdowns. I mean, this guy has hardly ever played. I mean, you're talking about throwing him to the Wolves, but maybe it's not the Wolves. It is prime time. It's a lot of pressure there. But the Jets, if we can't get after him, if we can't make him nervous in the pocket, then who knows? Maybe this is the perfect game. They're like, hey, let's get let's get Brett Rippin some experience where he can just stand back in the pocket and find a soft zone and just complete passes and get his confidence up. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Or maybe they're thinking the only way that we can tank this season harder than the New York Jets is to lose this game. And we're never going to lose it with Driscoll. So maybe if we put a practice squad quarterback in here, maybe he'll find a way to lose it for us. Maybe they're competing for the number one pick with us. It's hard to say. But I don't really have much uh, much input on this guy because I've never seen him play. And I have no idea how good he's going to be. We've seen guys like Nick Mullins come out for the 49ers and surprise you and be like, wow, this guy's actually really good for a third string quarterback. He did that last year. It's possible that Brett Rippon is a good player. But at this point, you're just thinking to yourself, like, this guy's in way over his head going into a Thursday night football game. The Jets should be able to find a way to get some stops. They should be able to find a way to get pressure on him as he stands in the pocket probably for too long. Multiple occasions, I'm sure it's going to happen. And he may have some turnovers, some fumbles, some interceptions, some bad throws. Maybe the Jets' defense will look good. And they got a bunch of other injuries as well. Cortland Sutton not playing. I'm not sure K.J. Hamler's been injured this year. Philip Lindsay's been injured this year. I'm not sure exactly what their final injury report's going to be looking like for Thursday. But when it comes down to it, I mean, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, these are some of the guys that the Jets are going to have to pay attention to. Melvin Gordon is their running back. Not a guy that I'm particularly scared of because in my mind, the Jets get beat by fast running backs. I'm not too worried about a somewhat slow, more physical style runner like Melvin Gordon. I think a guy like Philip Lindsay, you know, those like Naheem Hines, the Mosterts, those are the guys that really scare me in the running game against this Jets defense. If you want to go up the middle and go after our tackles, you know, that's the strength of this defense, and that's where you're probably not going to find a ton of success. So maybe we can slow that offense down, but then it comes down to what can we do on offense? Can we score any points? I mean, we're going to have to find a way to move this ball down. We don't have Le'Veon Bell still. It's going to be Frank Gore. Now they have a somewhat banged up defensive line. They just lost Jarrell Casey, a really good player for a long time. And I think Shelby Harris as well is potentially not going to be playing, who's another good defensive player. The Jets need to start to move the ball in the running game. And Frank Gore can do that for some carries, but you're going to need guys like either Kalen Balaj or LaMichael Pirine to pick up five yards consistently to give us short yardage situations because clearly 
these receivers that we're playing with don't get open downfield all that often. And Adam Gase doesn't like to draw up a game plan that gets us downfield all that often. So if Sam Darnold's going to throw five yards, it better be enough for a first down. Now, we may be getting some wide receivers back in this game. There's talks of Josh Smith, who was a, a pretty good training camp player for the Jets and was listed to be our wide receiver five. There's talks about him potentially coming back, though we've never seen him play a real game for the New York Jets in a spot like this, so there's no telling just how effective he'll be. We may be getting Jamison Crowder back, and that would be huge because he is, at this point in time, the best wide receiver, the best passing option that Sam Darnold has. He led the team in receptions last year. He was going to lead the team in receiving yards this year. He did week one when he played, and we've been missing him. And if Sam Darnold can get him back, that's going to be a big deal. Now, it may push Braxton Berrios out, which would be a bummer, but perhaps they can find a way to get both of them on the field. we got to get the tight ends involved. I mean, it can't just be Jamison Crowder. I'm sure he's going to get a lion's share if he does play because it's going to be like, clearly he's the guy. But if you're the Broncos, Fangio, you know, you're going to make sure that you, you definitely try to take him out of the game. So one of the other guys still has to step up. We're still waiting for a guy, you know, Lawrence Gager. Is it going to be Josh Malone, Chris Hogan, Chris Herndon really is the guy. Ryan Griffin, if you want to go with the backup tight end. Or one of the running backs in the passing game, like LaMichael Pirine and Kalen Balazs have the best chance of doing that. So somebody's got to step up. And then it comes down to the offensive line, the holes that we're making and the protection we're giving Sam Darnold. Now, without Von Miller, an injured Bradley Chubb, Shelby Harris injured, Jarrell Casey, you got to think to yourself, this Broncos pass rush is not going to be anywhere near as strong as it could have been. So Sam Darnold hopefully will have a little bit of time in the pocket. This should be the easiest overall team that we've played this year significantly. So we want to see that. Even though we don't have the players, I'm still expecting a better performance out of basically everybody. Across the board, offense, defense, we didn't have a good week one. Or last week, we didn't have a good game against the Colts. We didn't have a good week one either. Um, But I expect... All facets of the game, except for Ficken, who's been perfect. Everybody else, better in this game. The Broncos are basically daring us to do it. Like, they're saying, fire Adam Gates. We're going to play Brett Rippon. And if you lose to us, how are you going to explain that? A home game at 0-3, getting some players back against an injured Broncos team playing their third-string quarterback Thursday night football when you're 0-3 with Adam Gates, who's... <laughs> how do you explain that? How could he not be fired after this game if they lose? So some people are probably rooting for a loss. Maybe they're rooting for an early draft pick. They're saying, it's better just to lose these games. But you know what? When I'm watching these games, I don't want to watch them lose. I want to watch them win. I don't care what the cost is. Yeah, at the end of the season, it'll be like, bang, if only we'd lost one or two more games, we could have had X. But when I'm watching them, that's what I'm in it for, the enjoyment of watching a game and talking about it afterwards. I'd love to do it with a win. Nobody wins in the offseason. I mean, how many times have the Jets had a good offseason? And like, look at us. We won the offseason. We built our team. We're getting better. And then when you actually play the games and it happens, you're like, no better than you were the year before, maybe worse. So let's not be talking too much about what could happen in the offseason if we lose. Let's just enjoy some wins. The Jets, you know, like I said, they're the underdog in this one. Against Brett Rippon and the banged-up Denver Broncos, the banged-up New York Jets <laughs> will face off as Adam Gase looks to save his job in this just horrible, just pathetic COVID season. I mean, what a mess for this New York Jets team. So at the end of the day, this is when you get it back on track, if ever. 
the last game in the first quarter of the season. We're 0-3 in the first quarter. Can we at least get one win in the first month of football? Can we beat a bad team who's trying to give it away? Most importantly, can we see the important players that we talk about every week show improvement and have some big plays? The guys we're looking at, Sam Darnold, Mackay Becton, Quinn and Williams, LaShawn Austin. I mean, you know the guys. Michael Pirine, Ashton Davis if he plays. Anybody who's under contract with the New York Jets for two-plus years and is under age 27. I mean, those are the guys that we're really looking at. And if they play well and we win this game on prime time, I mean, the narrative around the Jets right now is that they're the worst team in the league. Somehow they're worse than the Giants who didn't record a single stop against the Nick Mullins-led 49ers. Somehow, even though the Jets played that team with some Jimmy Garoppolo and some Raheem Mostert, we played them better than the Giants did. Somehow the Jets are still way more embarrassing than the Giants team who has most of their wide receivers, quarterback. And yeah, I mean, they're missing their first running back, but so are we. It's just, I don't know how they could consider us worse than the Giants. But the Jets can win this game, potentially some of that negativity around the team. A little bit. I'm not talking about 50%. I'm talking like 11% of the negativity can disappear. There's going to be an asterisk because it's Brett Rippon. There's going to be an asterisk because of the injuries. Because the Broncos are 0-3. But it would be great. It would feel great. And I'll be drinking my Bud Light Platinum Seltzers for the game. No sponsorship for me. I do not get paid by them. I just, I'm just a sucker for advertisements, I guess. And for boozy beverages that seem like they'll be easily drank. That's all I got in this one. I want to thank my dad for the bright spot in this podcast, his father time, because that one was, that was what we needed to hear, I think. That there is light at the end of the tunnel. We don't know where it is, but it's there. So we'll see what happens this week, two days away, against the Denver Broncos. I'll be talking about it, I'm sure. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan, and I'd appreciate any sort of rate, review, subscribe to these podcasts. It's always good, always helps me. And until next time, thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>